live from the Coco Bongo nightclub in beautiful Edge City. This is Austin Danger Podcast, the only randomly curated Austin Powers-themed podcast on the internet. As always, we are Kevin McKenzie. Hello. And this is, this, believe it or not, is a big night. Now, we're back in the wheelhouse, early 90s comedy, all right, 1994, the year Jim Carrey became a superstar. Mm-hmm. Right? He's in Ace Ventura, he's in Dumb and Dumber, and he's in tonight's new line comedy based on the Dark Horse comic, The Mask. Those were all the same year? That's right. And then Batman Forever was 95. That is bonkers to me that he was in three like career-defining movies in the same year. Oh, yeah. And they really they really churned him out also. Like, that is crazy. <laughs> wow. It's it's it is really amazing to think about. You know, you look at Jim Carrey's filmography and it's like, you know, Earth Girls are easy, future episode, Peggy Sue got married, which you watched this week. And then I it's did. it's Ace Ventura the Mask, Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever, Ace Ventura Two, which comes out the next year. Wow. The cable guy, liar liar, the Truman Show, Man on the Moon, Me, Myself and Irene, The Grinch. Ooh. Uh, and then the Majestic, which is about seventy-five hours long. That's a really strong run, though. Honestly, generally, even the ones you don't like, right? Like you made a noise at the Grinch. That's still like a huge role for him. Like that movie blew up. Are you the kidding Grinch. Me? I made a noise at the Grinch, but the Grinch was a giant part of my childhood. That VHS yeah. regular rotation. So, absolutely. You know, who's to say? But that's all at the bottom of the hour. We're talking the mask. You know it. You, based on Litterbox, may like it. Whether it held up for us, we'll find out. But first, Mackenzie, tell me about your week. God, I've watched a wild amount of movies this That's week. Right. I'm trying. I have to like pick which ones to get into. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned I watched. Uh, here's some quick hits. I did watch Peggy Sue Got Married. Recommend it. Thought it was cool. Young, young uh, Jim Carrey, as you mentioned, young Nick Cage doing a pokey from Gumby accent. Yeah, I have to. I have to see this movie and. He just kind of talks like this the entire time, and you're like, "What is going on?" And he's these huge fake teeth. It's crazy. And Kathleen Turner is like doing her best (laughs) to be serious against him. Be like, "What's wrong, Peggy Sue?" Uh, It's 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 a lot. (laughs) Uh, So recommend Peggy Sue Got Married. I God, I watched so much. I watched Seven. Watched my second Fincher movie. That was cool. I watched Blowout, which I do want to talk about. Brian yes. De Palma. It was so good. Have you seen this movie? Of course. I blind bought the Criterion when it came out. And I've loved it ever since. Yeah. Great movie. I've had so many people tell me that I should check it out. And I was just feeling it the other night. I have only seen one Brian De Palma movie. And that's Phantom of the Paradise. And I love that movie. Um, and I loved Blowout. Give it five stars. I just think it was just really cool. Like, it's one of those movies I'm like, I don't have a big intellectual reason why I thought it was a five-star movie. I just thought it was really fucking cool. Yeah. And sometimes that's all I needed. Like, I, the story was engaging. I genuinely didn't know where the plot was going to go. It was visually beautiful. I love how, like, 80% of the shots in this movie I have never seen in any other movie. I'm like, mm-hmm. Brian De Palma just pulls the weirdest shit out of his head. And I love, I love it so much. This sort of noir, giallo, slasher, whatever it is. It was just really, uh, really cool. I freaking loved Blowout. Hell yeah. I got to revisit that. I'm long overdue, honestly. I want to grab the Criterion, absolutely. Is that one, didn't they just announce it's coming to 4K? Yeah. How do you like that? I got to get it. It was going to be so beautiful. Um, I also watched The Young Girls of Rochefort. 
I think oh, that I'm saying yeah. That what is so? What the hell is going on? <laughs> I again, I've just had a week of like I'm feeling this and just throwing on a random like iconic film. Uh, Young Girls of Rochefort, Jacques Demy's, you know, Technicolor musical. Uh, I saw somewhere that like it was hailed as a huge inspiration for La La Land, and I can see that. Uh, I can see how La La Land is the Americanized, cheaper version of this film. Uh, not to insult La La I actually genuinely have nothing against La La Land, but Young Girls of Rochefort is just this technicolor, romantic, dreamy musical made by Jacques Demy about these two twin sisters who uh, are looking for love, and it's just about the hijinks in this sort of French town as the two men that are like destined to be with the girls, just there's all these misconnections and these little moments of not quite meeting each other. And it sounds like there's not a lot there, but the, the songs are really catchy. They're a little hard to follow if you're not a uh, native French speaker because you have to read the songs and songs are fast and tempos are fast. So uh, I did find it a bit challenging to like read the songs. So eventually I was like, I'm just going to vibe and just like let it hit me. Mm. <laughs> um, but the dancing is beautiful. It looks so gorgeous it's just a really i don't even i can't speak french but the tunes of the songs are in my head so i'm like sort of just mumbling fake french to myself as i sing the songs afterward uh but yeah i really recommend it i think all of jacques demy's movies are on criterion collection right now and i absolutely want to watch more it's just it was just dreamy beautiful gene kelly is in it uh dancing his ass off he, he's very he's overdubbed all the singing is dubbed and including gene kelly who can sing <laughs> so i just think it's funny how like we know we've all seen singing in the rain we know what gene kelly sounds like and then when he starts singing it's clearly a totally different french guy um but hey i still love it hell yeah that's great i have to check this out honestly it's crazy no really it's it's, it's fun it's a little bit long but it's fun um, and the last thing I'll talk about super quick, just cause you also, I like when I post reviews and immediately see you freak out over them <laughs> a la, and, uh, you freaked out over my being John Malkovich review from this afternoon. I had a Cameron oh, yeah. Diaz day between the mask and being John Malkovich. Um, I'm maybe more of a Cameron Diaz stand than I thought I, I realized. <laughs> what <laughs> I a think performance I love though. Like, like really, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of Cameron Diaz, a bad teacher aside, right? I could not believe that performance in being John Malkovich was the same actress. It's great. She is amazing. I mean, if I cannot think of a character I've loved this much in a long time, I mean, a, like a probably lesbian with gender issues, like, yes, I'm obsessed with you. Uh, I Yeah, that scene where, you know, I think the movie doesn't necessarily go as deep into the possible transness of Lottie um I don't think it's important in the end I think I think I I I still found it to be really entertaining and a fascinating look at when sometimes you're figuring out your sexuality your gender is also feeling kind of wonky like a lot of queer people can relate to that and uh I that scene her performance in that scene where she's trying to talk to him about how like being inside John was the most she's ever felt like herself and she's like crying it was just phenomenal. I was like amazed by Cameron Diaz. I was like, holy shit. And Catherine Keener, who is also great, is the only one of that duo that got an Oscar nom. And I honestly think it should have gone to Cameron Diaz. I think she should have gotten a nom over Catherine Keener, I yeah. think, actually. Stigma. <laughs> yeah. Well, she's great in that. And she's great in The Mask, which we'll talk about later. But first, I want to know what you've been watching. I want to say, though, before before we get into what I've been watching... Oh, more Malkovich. Did you Sorry. know 
Did you know that being John Malkovich is now number 113 on the Austin Danger podcast wheel? It links through many things, but Mike Myers' ex-wife is one of those things. Believe really? it or not. Yeah. So That's so fun. Who knows? We could talk about uh, it any week now. I would love to do an episode on being dumb. I, 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 Rachel came home and I brain dumped the entire plot onto her. And she was like, that sounds like a lot. And I'm like, fuck, I need someone to talk to you about this movie. So I, I would saw, love to do an episode. I saw this. I saw that like on VHS. My parents rented it, which is kind Whoa. of insane for my bricklayer father and medical <laughs> clerk mother to watch being John Malkovich. Um, and I didn't understand it. And it went right through me and then uh, rediscovered it. Thanks to Criterion, I think. Mm-hmm. great movie now what have you been watching okay yeah i can't avoid it any longer so last week i talked about chucky and the child's play franchise i finished the journey this week with curse and cult of chucky mm-hmm. which are the two direct-to-video installments of the series probably the best direct-to-video movies i've ever seen really uh, well which does isn't isn't a high bar <laughs> like they're fine and they're entertaining enough um Seed of Chucky, I'm still trying to reconcile because of the the kind of weird joke about him having the Made in Japan on his wrist and then playing that awful chime uh, and, oh. and jokes of that ilk, you know? Gosh, but there was a lot. I mean, when I watch movies from 2000 to 2009, not that there's not still a lot of racism in movies sometimes, but man, that that was that era specifically. It's a lot of bad, it was, a lot of bad shit. It was a toughie for a franchise that is so progressive in other ways especially in this new chucky show which i started today um yeah and it's great i don't have a lot else to say about it yet i'll have more to say about it next week but uh i'm enjoying that a lot um the 70 millimeter meetup took place on saturday in in jenkintown pennsylvania the guys rented out the highway theater and we all watched back to the future (laughs) i want to real quickly say you know we, we joke around a lot with those guys and there's a lot of ragging on that goes on as a joke uh, in their chat rooms and stuff. And I, I just wanted to say thank you to those guys for bringing everybody together, for bringing us together. You know, without mm-hmm. 70 millimeter, there is no Austin danger podcast. And there also is, is barely an Austin nation. So <laughs> like, thank you to the 70 millimeter guys for being an inspiration and for uh, essentially being the reason we met and, and why there's even a show here. Um, Back to the Future, it's a perfect movie. What do you expect? Never seen it. Oh, my God. What What are we doing? Like, why are we doing? Austin Powers, nothing. <laughs> rig Erase the, wheel, the wheel. Rig the wheel. Erase yeah, the wheel. no. The, it's such an amazing community, and we talk about it all the time. And everyone, if you're listening, you should join it because it's great. And it's, you know, as an adult, it's really hard to make friends. Yeah. And I cannot believe the connections and friendships I have made in this Discord that I genuinely feel could last a lifetime. Like, like it's weird that I've I've met such incredible people because of a movie Discord. And, and you know, I'm making a new best friend with each week of Austin Danger podcast. Mwah. And it's, uh, mwah. and it's just like, yeah, we wouldn't have any of that. And so it's a great community. Absolutely. I didn't get to go to the meetup, but next year... Maybe I'll be there. Okay, two things on that. Number one, thank you to everybody who came up to me and was so kind about Austin Nature Podcast. That is totally crazy <laughs> to me. I have to tell you, anyone in my real life does not want to hear about Austin Nature Podcast, <laughs> uh, let alone anything else I do. So um, it's great. Sorry if I was like little, like, you know, I got I got to be honest with you. In real life, I usually talk to the same six or seven people a week. So <laughs> yeah. it was just so crazy. But thank you guys. 
um, really, for all your kind words. And if Mackenzie can go to the next one, we are going to be having a rogue Austin Danger podcast meetup of some kind. Uh, we stay will post the that. address of a McDonald's, and if you can find it, <laughs> we will be there. We we should do. <laughs> we do clues. We do a scavenger hunt, and you might find us at the end of it. And, and it's a, and it's a McDonald's. It's a McDonald's. Yeah, there's your hint. On the you side of the every McDonald's in the, in the state of Pennsylvania. On the side of the turnpike. Yes. <laughs> um, but that was great. Hey, maybe we'll get back to the feature tonight. Who knows? Steven Spielberg, executive producer. Oh, oh shit! Oh. The only thing I know about that movie is doesn't his mom try to fuck him? Well, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing I know about that movie, and it's exclusively from a John Mulaney bit. So. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Well, look, it 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 does play better than you think. Because I'm not gonna lie, <laughs> sure. I I was like, well, they can't pick Back to the Future because it's totally their vibe. It's absolutely the perfect choice. Everybody will feel good about having traveled for it, but like. They can't, they, you know, X, Y, and Z happens. They can't pick it for those. But <laughs> but no, the truth is that it held, holds up great. Hell yeah. I want to watch it. We will. We will. I've seen day. the Family Guy episode based on Back to the Future at least 20,000 times. Oh, so. Jesus Christ. Well, listen. <laughs> listen. We'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, what, <laughs> what else, else did we do? been watching? The night before the meetup, we were hanging out. A bunch of us got dinner, and we sat trainer, our dear friend, in front of in front of Jackass Forever which was very funny. Uh, that was great. On Sunday when I got home, I watched the new A24 movie Funny Pages, Ooh. which maybe people want to hear about. It's yeah. um, this new movie from this guy, Owen Klein. The The producers of the movie are the Softy Brothers, and it mm. absolutely feels in that same vein. It's extremely high stress, high pressure, uh, desperately trying to make something work that obviously will not work, but this time about the world of indie comics. So hmm. lots of R. Crumb, lots of Felix the Cat, lots of weird alternative comics references. So if you're into that, it's all over the place. There really isn't a lot to talk about plot-wise because it's hmm. a movie about being very stressed, uh, but it's effective. So check that out. It's like a $6 rental or it's around. I think he's doing Not a bad. Q&A Friday, but of course I can't go. Typical. <laughs> Um, and that's, I mean, that's pretty much all I got. You know, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, we will talk about one day on Austin Danger Podcast, but uh, <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's it's a long episode of Star Trek. It's the Bob's Burgers, the movie of Star Trek. Uh, but that's really all I've been watching, you know? A real jam-packed week, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yes. To answer the question of at least three people at the meetup, I don't know how I watch this stuff. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get help much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm home literally um, all the time. Yeah. But that's it for me, which means it's time to move on to Whoop dit news. What does it all mean, Basil? Great streaming news for Austin Powers and Austin Danger podcast movies this week. Uh as you're listening to this, Elvis is available on HBO Max. Hooray! Oh. But I'm burying the lead here because as of September 1st, the Austin Powers trilogy is available on Netflix once again. Oh, she's back. She's back. I'm <laughs> Even though I own the Blu-rays, it's so much more convenient to find it on a streamer. Yeah. You know, oh, I've been waiting. We're long overdue. You know what I mean? I, I told you, I mean, I think I said it a couple episodes ago, I've been feeling the, 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 the yearn to watch International Man of Mystery again. That's right. Well, who knows, you know, 
Listen, we were talking before the show. We're already up to episode 30, whatever. We'll blink and it'll be time to watch it again. Perhaps. I know. We should watch it for our anniversary, maybe. Our one-year anniversary. We should watch Austin Powers again. I was going to suggest the exact <laughs> same thing. Just a whole um, second episode on on uh, International Man of Mystery. Why not? Why the hell not? Why not? It's the name of the show. <laughs> Why not? Um, Why that's... Not? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, that's really it for Austin news. You know, I don't know what to say. It's August 31st as we record this. Will Mike Myers make another Austin Powers movie? I don't know. I have to be honest, though, if he announces it between now and Monday, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> so, Mike, if you're listening, please announce on a Monday or Tuesday. Because <laughs> we need that. We, we Because we need that. Because we need All that. All of us. All of us. <laughs> We need that indescribable feeling when Austin Powers comes on your screen. When the lights begin to dim. Um, did you hear, by the way, that the <laughs> writer, the writer of the bit, oh. which is so like, I wouldn't want to take credit for that after it got. Well, I don't know. I like it personally, unironically. I do too. I it, it genuinely moves me when I see it in theaters. Yeah, they're doing another one, folks. It's another <sighs> one. So it's got a brand excited. new. It's brand new copy. Heartbreak will know. Maybe heartbreak will still feel good. I want it to what be if it about doesn't how measure up. What if it just is self-referential and terrible? Okay, if they poke fun at it in the ad, the joke is dead forever. It's dead. It's dead I'm forever. so sad. I'm gonna have because to because burn... genuinely, it's moving. Yeah, because there are some movies that do feel like that. It's... Outbreak does feel good in a place like this. I want it to be about how Nicole has been going back to the movies now for two years, and now all those little things that she used to take for granted now annoy her, and she resents it a lot. <laughs> like she goes to sit down and somebody's next to her in the theater or she's like, fuck. She's like, fuck. Or like <laughs> there's a kid or someone's phone is ringing or, or worse. Someone's taking a picture of the screen to post on Instagram that they're at the movies. Like the woman that was next to me at Elvis taking photos with flash. Oh my God. All right. Uh, and as a reminder, Screamtober is coming up. I know I called it Screamtoberfest last week, but that's kind of putting a hat on a hat. We're going to cut that down to just Screamtober. How exciting. I'm excited. We're, should we say that we're going to curate a bit of a list on our letterboxed, uh, where we're going to accumulate some of our favorite comedy teen slasher, all three, just one, some variation of that, uh, horror films to watch alongside Scream. Yeah. Think of it similar to whatever the Elvis one was called, (laughs) which was a long name. Austin uh, Dinger podcast presents Austin Butler podcast. I know is how it began. Presents the road to Boz Lerman's Elvis. See, we got yes. there. This is why this we podcast is great is because our teamwork really <laughs> defines the show. Um, it'll be like a charcuterie board or whatever. Little, little cheese, little prosciutto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Little brie. To accompany you on the scream journey. That'll go up uh, when it's done. Before October, for sure. Probably in the next couple <laughs> weeks. So look out for that. Woo. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, all right. So now that all the business is off the table, it is time. Mackenzie, last week you spun the wheel and it landed on New Line Cinema's 1994 smash hit, The Mask. All right. Chuck Russell, director of The Blob, director of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, has Whoa. returned. Yeah. Big pedigree. <laughs> I feel beautiful and bad <laughs> i've not seen that movie but i know that line from dream warriors i wish i wish uh, shout out to spaghetti and freddy but now it is time for the mask Mackenzie. would you please let us in 
to the crazy cartoon world of Stanley Ipkiss with your synopsis. What if this started with starring Cher as a mother who has a son? Oh my God. If what you if watched the wrong one? What if you watched Mask? <laughs> no, and I just came in with all notes on the Cher movie <laughs> Mask. Can you imagine? I wish. That would be good. I don't remember when Cher sang Cuban Pete. That's not in my notes. I don't. <laughs> Wait, Cher singing Cuban Pete. Now that's in my head. They call him Cuban Pete. That's very good. That. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm distracting from the, from the, the synopsis. The swing, the swing revival would have been canceled. Big Bad Voodoo Daddy would have retired in 1995. The Cherry Poppin' Daddies, they would have been nowhere. Isn't that a swing band? That's right. That's right. We'll talk about it. (laughs) Okay, let's get into the mask. Bank clerk Stanley Ipkiss lives an ordinary, unimportant life until one night, while attempting to save someone he sees drowning, he finds a wooden mask floating in the water instead of a person. When he puts on the mask, he transforms into a green-faced, zoot-suit-wearing, cartoonish trickster who terrorizes the city. At the same time, a local gangster and nightclub owner named Dorian Tyrell is looking to overthrow his superior Nico with the help of his beautiful girlfriend Tina. Stanley donning the mask continuously screws up Dorian's plans and seduces Tina, putting a target on his back as the local authorities also try to uncover his true identity. As Stanley attempts to learn more about the mask's powers, Dr. Arthur Newman tells him the mask comes from the powers of the Norse trickster god Loki, and that the mask helps Stanley uncover his deepest desires. Eventually, Dorian is able to steal the mask from Stanley and put our hero in jail as we propel into our third act where Stanley and Tina must work together with the help of Stanley's dog Milo to take down Dorian once and for all. Once the dust settles, Tina kisses her new man and Stanley finally throws away the mask. Dun dun dun, until dun, Jamie dun, dun. Kennedy finds it. Blech. Luckily, we'll never talk about Son of the Mask again. So <laughs> this is a this is it. This is the journey. <laughs> Kev, what is your history with the mask? Yeah, you know the mask is a core memory movie for me. Hmm. My babysitter had the VHS, and so I guess I watched it a bunch. You know, I I guess I underestimated how many times I'd seen it because hmm. I had a very weird situation that we'll talk about in a little bit with it where I remembered way more of it than I thought and way more minute things than I thought. Mm. But this is where really like I fell in love with Jim Carrey, who was like my nineties comedy guy, uh, despite having never seen dumb and dumber. And I don't think I ever saw Ace Ventura either for the record. Oh, wow. Yeah. So craziness. (laughs) How about you? What is your history with the mask? I mean, I know I saw it as a kid, too. Like, it might have just been one of my mom's VHSs. And I think I mentioned it last week. I would just, sometimes I would just 
put on my mom's VHSs instead of my Disney's, and that's how I watched a lot of adult movies at a young age. Honestly, probably how I watched Austin Powers. Uh, and I think The Mask was sort of maybe just one of those, because, like, there are so many moments that I feel like I know very vividly. Like, there's, like, little just quotes. I mean, obviously, Smokin' and the, like, just all of his little weird quotes. Like, I feel like I definitely quoted growing up. And I can even pull them the, it's time for an overhaul. That's when I, I wrote down, because I know I used to say that a lot. Like, I just, I feel like it was a quotable movie. And, like, like the the wolf like the tongue falling on the on the table and rolling out i know that is from classic cartoons but in my brain that's a mask reference if that makes sense like right so many of those references are like birthed from the mask in my brain so like when i think of these things it, so it's a weird movie that is like omnipresent in my brain but i'm never i've never actively thought about it in like 20 something years so it's like yeah it's weird i know i watched it as a kid but like i don't know why it's so sort of just there swirling around when yeah uh, it's it's strange it's a weird it's really baked into culture like all of the carryisms the jim carryisms in this movie are like peak jim carry to me like when i associate his talent and his type of comedy it's this movie it's crazy it's very weird that's the way i'll put it is it was a very weird feeling watching this movie mm. and kind of relearning that uh, I guess we'll start there. I guess we should probably begin there, right? With like, <laughs> why not coming back to it? I remembered so much, like, not even jokes or funny things, but like the squishing sound of his shoes as he comes up the steps after getting the mask out of the water. The composition of the shot where he's in the lake and the cops are like, "What's going on?" Hmm. Um, just little, littler things like that, and then. Like the like getting the alarm clock out of the pocket and then hitting it with the big cartoon sledgehammer. And even like the design of the VHS tapes that set up all the cartoon shit. The the yeah. the, the tickets in the drawer. I was like, what is going on? Like it's like when you play like a guess the frame game, like framed is I guess the one mm-hmm. everyone uses. Yeah, I yeah, I play it every day. And they have that number like the number one frame. You never guess it unless you totally know it. It's like that, but with thousands of frames of this movie. <laughs> From the mask. I think also, when did Who Framed Roger Rabbit come out? That was 89-90, which oh. I would say that like the, the green lighting and approval of this movie is directly because of Who Framed Roger Rabbit and uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. Because once that oh. comes out, everyone's like, what is a comic book? There is, like, we don't have to get into it, but, like, the initial, like, shot of the city was, like, totally, I was like, oh, I immediately wrote down, oh, this is so post-Burton oh, yeah. comic book vibes. Like, the way the city looks, that kind of painted weird thing with the little things moving. Like, that's exactly how, like, Burton's establishing shots of Gotham looked. And I was like, oh, yeah, I can see the I can see where it's pulling from from Burton's Batman now. The Art Deco uh, credits. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's it was very I could definitely see the influences of Batman. But yeah, I think I also watched Two Frame Dodger Rabbit a lot as a kid, so I think that those cartoony things were very blended in my brain because I also vividly re- like remembered the sledgehammer bit and like him his little legs when he's doing the dance with Tina. Like there's just so many yeah, small things that I'm, I'm. It did just so immediately register with me 
as deeply familiar, but I have not seen this movie in so long. I hadn't seen The Fugitive until I was a grown adult, but I remember The Mask joking about the one-armed man. (laughs) What is going on? I definitely think I picked up more references now as an adult. Absolutely. Like, you know, even like the Sally Field reference, right? That had like just happened kind of in the late 80s. And so, of course, it was on like everyone's mind. And I feel like everyone sort of quoted that. And so like the the Sally Field reference, like what is the coughing referencing when he's doing his death scene and then he turns away to cough and it's like a weird muffled audio? Like that's got to be a reference, right? I don't know. I took that as like, because he got the Oscar after that. I was like, I just thought he was like overacting as like a dying guy in a Western. (laughs) The audio on the coughing was so funny and weird and tinny. And I was like, uh, and it felt intentional. So I was like, there's just so many references in this and they all don't hit, but a lot of them do more now that I'm an adult, which is, which is pretty fun. Hell yeah. What else have you got? About just generally the movie? Yeah. Let's move on to the next I mean, thing. I yeah, I really loved the um, aesthetic of it. Yeah, it, it was a little bit, it didn't go as hard, obviously, as Burton's Gotham, but it right. still had the grime and the vibe. Like, most vividly for me, when he first exits in the yellow suit, I think, onto the street, it's right before he gets attacked by, like, the, the biker gang. Right, right, right. The lighting in that scene was gorgeous because he has this electric green skin, electric yellow suit, and there's just this, like, stark blue and red, pink, just, like, kind of creating this gorgeous, like, luminous edge of his silhouette. And I just thought it was very Burton comic book movie to me, and I just thought it looked gorgeous. Like, I really loved the way the city looked. I thought the club looked really beautiful and textured and fun and neon. Like, uh, I just thought the yeah, I thought the, the world was really cool. I would have loved to see them go even harder, I think, with the cartoonishness of it. But it was it was really cool. Oh, yeah. It's great. Uh, it's it's funny, you know, we've joked about it a couple times in this episode already. But, like, the mask is associated with a, a, a movement coincidentally happening around the same time in Los Angeles, which is at clubs like the Brown Derby. You'd have bands playing swing music in 1991. <laughs> This obviously culminates with like Big Bad Voodoo Daddy getting famous and John Favreau's Swingers, but but the mask is is one of the first big cultural statements to include the swing revival. And if you look at like the mask with his giant zoot suit, nothing about his design, by the way, should work <laughs> to me. But it does. But it works. I love his design. I think he's great character design. But it works, and it's like. The zoot suit is perfect. The swing stuff is great. I think also the 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 cartoon is the connective tissue between the last time big band swing music was popular and 1994 <laughs> is interesting. I haven't I've never really thought about it like that before. Literally this moment. <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, that era of cartoons. You know what I mean? It's it is like it is antiquated at that point, right? It's an older style of of cartoons and they're iconic, but they're definitely not what cartoons were at that time. You know what I mean? In the nineties. And so, yeah, I love that he does. There is a vintage feel about him kind of in the way he acts because of the way he dresses and the types of uh, cartoonishness he exudes. There is something sort of uh, quaint, but yeah, like interesting about like how he feels out of time a bit in the nineties, but still fits. It still works. It works so much. Like even Cuban Pete, right? That's a song that was made more popular in the sixties as well, fifties and sixties. And so like, I think that's, I don't know. It's very interesting. There's a lot of stuff about him that is very, um, hearkening back to a different era. They call me Cuba Pete. 
Cupid Pete's tricky. I don't know. I don't know where I'm at with Jim Carrey being the person to revive Cuban Pete. Cuban Pete rocks so hard as a song. It is a great song. Uh, Javier Bardem sings it as Desi Arnaz, <laughs> who originally made it famous last year in one of the worst movies in recent memory, being the Ricardos, yes. a disaster that I was like, all right. I remember showing Rachel. I had never actually seen Desi perform it, and so then I showed Rachel the, the Javier Bardem, and she was like, "Mackenzie, get on YouTube," <laughs> and we went and watched Desi perform it, and obviously it's amazing because he's amazing, and so like it was. That song is just such a great earworm. I have been singing Cuban Pete literally all day because this it slaps and this movie. I think the scene's fun. I get that you know it's weird you know. It's he's obviously not Cuban, <laughs> Jim Carrey. Um, but it, it just, I love that song so much. And I think that scene is so fun. I saw something online that the producers thought that it was long and and stupid. So they asked for it to be cut, but test audiences were obsessed with it. And it got like the biggest reaction of the whole screening. So they that's what made them leave it in. Hey, look, uh, focus testing and test screenings are often not right. But when they're right, they're right. Okay. <laughs> when they're right, they're right. This is so fun. Cuban Pete. I absolutely love it. Anything where Jim's allowed to just go completely unhinged and wild is amazing. And it's great. Like, you know, we talked about his crazy 1994 and it is pretty profound how, how easily adaptable he was into all these different situations, right? Even a few years later in a movie like Liar Liar, it's very much the same thing where, wow, they found a way to make this guy allow this guy to do this stuff in a courtroom. Right. Or, yeah. um, uh, you know, as a pet detective or as your cable guy. It's interesting. Cause he's not necessarily a comedian. I've ever considered myself like to find funny. And I think that's because I've, seen him be imitated by people that makes sense like when people because he's an easy person to do an imp- impression of for sure and so i feel like i mostly see people making fun of him and so then i'm like oh yeah he's not funny but then i watch this movie and i'm actually seeing him do this shit and i'm like wow he does have such a uniquely hilarious talent to him he is a clown you know what i mean he knows how to clown and move his body and create shapes that like are so unique and his face is so emotive and with all that makeup, it's so seamless. Like I, you, it, it feels genuinely fused to his face and he emotes so large through it. It's yeah, great. that's the other thing, right? So at the end of the movie, we see the boss, the mob boss put on the mask and we see what it's like when a regular person gets to have the mask makeup on. And it is mm-hmm. a disaster, in my opinion. It looks <laughs> awful. And like you mentioned in, in, in chat that like, they made his Adam's apple bigger for no reason. They made his like neck big. Yeah. He looked like the mask that's in that, um, R.L. Stein like goosebumps one where the (laughs) mask gets fused to her. It literally looked like that. (laughs) Yeah. And if you Google Jamie Kennedy, son of the mask, it'll make you sick as well. It also looks terrible. (laughs) And probably Alan Cumming as Loki putting it on as well. Probably looks like crap. Uh, the dog also the nightmare CG. But again, you have this perfect, like, Jim looks amazing in the makeup. Did he shave his head? I don't even know. It doesn't even matter, right? It shouldn't work. 
And he's got these teeth as well that are just like, how is he able to sound coherent and look great and do all these bits and sell everything? How? It, it doesn't make sense. It's, it's like genuinely such a astounding talent. Like I think on display, like even if I don't think he's the best actor in the universe, which I recently watched the Truman show. And um, I think his, his more serious turns are really gorgeous. Like I think he actually like has a lot of acting talent as well, but just the, the physicality is what makes this character work so much. And yeah, it's just, it's, he's, it's genuinely amazing to me that like he is able to do so much and it feels natural. Like this character still feels so real to me. And so he's like a cartoon, but it's, it just feel, there's still so much like layers and talent behind it that it just feels so real. It's just, I really am impressed by this movie and him in it specifically. Yeah. You give yourself up to it at a certain point. Like, you know, it's a, it's a new line comedy based on a comic book from 1994. And you go to something like that with a certain set of expectations. And I feel like they knew what to do in terms of bringing it to life and making it work yeah and again so much of this is like quintessential jim carrey to me like this is definitely the jim carrey comedy wise that i have in my brain like you know i mean all the ways he speaks the way he moves his the jokes the bits the timing like this is like peak him in my brain smoking i saw the other i was googling it because i was like there's another one i love that it's when he's in the mirror and he goes "Ooh, somebody stop me i think that one's very fun legendary <laughs> legendary how many times do you think this guy gets this crap in the street every day of you his know life. every day that's gotta be every day that has life. to be <laughs> well do you think how many people do you think try to talk out of their buttholes to him fair enough <laughs> that might be worse i'd rather get a smoke in someone like throw an ass at me yeah fair enough <laughs> <laughs> too true too true Someone comes up to him and does a monologue from the Truman Show, and he's like, "I, uh, okay." <laughs> the one person who saw the majestic in theaters opening weekend is like, "I remember, Jim. I remember. <laughs> I was there." I can't believe that isn't me, but that's a whole other situation. My God. Should we talk more about this cast? Yes, let's let's talk about Cameron Diaz. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> you read my mind, Kev. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is. Okay, we have to. I want to address something up wow. front before we get into Cameron Diaz. We didn't wow. get an email from Mr. Randy Roundtable, the host of Rankings and the new Oscar Rewind podcast. Hi, uh, we didn't get it because he rated The Mask one and a half stars on Letterboxd. Not even. I think it's just a half star. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's just half. You gotta a star. be kidding me. <laughs> um, but even if he had sent an email in, the table is reduced to shreds. It is completely destroyed. Mamma mia. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball named Cameron Diaz. Woof. Right. Holy shit. Woof. This is this is the star making <laughs> moment also for her, which is crazy to say, crazy to say about Insane. the mask. Um, I mean, but from her first entrance coming into the bank, if that's not a superstar, I don't know who is. Oh yeah. It's it's yeah. Uh, I mean, She's so gorgeous in this movie. What kind of account do you have in mind? I'm not sure exactly. You see, I'm just terrible with things like that. <laughs> That's an interesting time, Mr. Ipkiss. Stanley Ipkiss. Tina Carlyle, pleased to meet you. The pleasure's all mine. May I? May what? Such a mess. 
Oh, of course. That's what they're there for. <laughs> As I was saying about that tie, kind of reminds me of one of those, what do you call it, um, inkblot tests. A Rorschach test. Right. You know, it sort of looks like um, a young woman riding bareback. Sort of a Lady Godiva or something. Of course. What do you see, Mr. Ipkiss? I feel like as of late, we've had a lot of beautiful women on these movies and I'm losing my mind about it. It's true. No, she's insanely gorgeous. And I think that you can, acting wise, you can definitely see she's like early in her career, but she has such a natural ease and, and presence, screen presence. Like it's, it is really cool to see this. I think this is a great first movie for her because she, she gets to show like a sexy side, but also a sensitive side. And she plays them both so well. Like I, I really thought she was great in this. You know, it's a femme fatale, Jessica Rabbity kind of mm-hmm. sexy role in, a, in one of these neo-noir comedies, right? Yeah. But I don't know. I think she's got some stuff to work with. Yeah, I do It's too. not totally... I think, yeah. Go ahead. No, I think they let her be really dimensional. I think obviously they could have had more because <laughs> she's not like the most dimensional. But I think Cameron Diaz just is bringing a lot to her and... And I think that especially when you see her sort of, she plays that shift of desiring the mask to loving uh, Stanley, like, really well. Is that his name? Yeah. I, think I said the wrong yeah, name. Yeah, 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 you got it. Yeah, like, she play. I love, it's, it's, she only has, like, one scene to do it. But when she's in the park, playing that shift of realizing who she really wants is this sweet guy as opposed to this lustful cartoon. Like, um, literally Pepe Le Pew in that scene. Yeah, Um I don't know. I just I think she plays that subtle shift in that character really, really well. And, and I just I really liked her. I thought she was great. Oh, yeah. And yeah, the fact that she's absolutely gorgeous <laughs> is also nice to look at uh, throughout the film. It helps. It helps. <laughs> and again, um, she was amazing at being John Malkovich. I need to watch more Young Camera D. She's actually not in a lot of movies. And I like look at her, her letterboxed. So, you know. Is that so? Yeah, she's really not in a lot. I mean, she retired for a couple of years. She's coming back next year, I think. Oh, great. But the last big thing she did was Annie, and then she retired. Oh, yeah. (laughs) A lot of Cameron Diaz on the Austin Danger podcast wheel. Genuinely? I mean, Shrek. She's Fiona. You know what I mean? Like, she's going to be in every Shrek-related thing, which is actively related to Austin Powers himself. Yep, there's something about Mary. So, yeah, I feel like Cameron Diaz is going to be a big staple in this podcast. Future episode, Vanilla Sky. Yes. Mm. And Minority Report, Tom Cruise. That's right. That's right. She's going to be, in, I bet you she'll be our most like watched artist as a podcast. Guarantee. <laughs> oy, oy, oy. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> but you're probably right. <laughs> Who else do we have? Hey, Zed from Pulp Fiction showed up. You know, I thought this guy looked familiar looking at him. And I realized <laughs> today that the bad guy, Dorian, is Zed, the crazy gun shop owner from Pulp Fiction. Nice. Zed's dead, baby. Oh, spoilers for Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah, you know, fine. At a certain point, at a certain point, the the characters are, you know, cardboard cutouts, right? This is the mask. This is not going to be even Batman 89 had, had more going on in the characters than this. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie I didn't take a lot of notes for, too, because it it didn't feel like 
a noteworthy movie, not because it's bad, but because it's just like entertaining and you're just kind of watching it and it's happening. Like, yeah, like, yeah, Dorian wasn't special or layered or nuanced or whatever, but like he was a fine villain and I wasn't really concerned about it. Like it's just, it was just an entertaining movie. So yeah, he wasn't really like exceptional, I would say, but, uh, you know, fun enough. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. This really is just like Jim Carrey and Cameron Diaz outshining it's everyone true. else in the whole it's film. True. Not to talk shit about Ben Stein, who's making his Austin Danger podcast debut. <laughs> who's Ben Stein? Ben Stein is the character actor, former oh, Republican speechwriter who talks like this. He likes to do ads for whatever eye drops. <laughs> Did you peep Jolie Fisher at the beginning? I did not. She's the redhead who he has a crush on who takes the tickets and doesn't want to date him. Oh. Jolie Fisher, part of the Fisher dynasty, a la our queen, Carrie. Uh, and here's the thing. Jolie Fisher, I do 100% think, was my first movie crush as a kid in Inspector Gadget starring Matthew Broderick. Oh. She's the female doctor in that. That's right. I think she's my OG crush. And uh, so I... Even though Julie Fisher is here for five minutes, I needed to shout her out because I I deeply love Julie Fisher. You know, Inspector Gadget was my first crush uh, when my expectations were crushed into a cube and thrown into a junkyard. I cannot believe you don't love What's-His-Face from My uh, My Best Friend's Wedding, who we adored in that movie uh, as Dr. Claw or whatever the fuck I'll probably love Rupert Everett. Uh, by seeing it now as an adult because it is on the wheel but i I, seeing his face at all enraged me (laughs) this 10 year old child gadget this this don adams super fan was not convinced by matthew broderick (laughs) well i loved it growing up so this will be our big this will be the movie that finally splits us (laughs) apart (laughs) inspector gadget's gonna divide us in two look if disney's not gonna break us up over marvel or star wars it's gonna break us up over (laughs) inspector gadget for sure (laughs) jesus um, Mackenzie, what else have you got for the mask? You know, we're kind of running towards the end of our main event segment here. Yeah, let me see. Let me see if I got any any random popcorn notes. I will say that, like, our, you know, some weeks there's just movies that you have tons of notes for. It's tons of insight, lot going on. The mask is just like kind of this <laughs> goofy that. thing. It's not got a lot going on that we haven't discussed. <laughs> yeah um, i did i do love the swing influence i think it's great mm-hmm. i love the swing revival unabashedly i think it's great i i turned down the chance to see big big bad voodoo daddy on long island a couple of years ago and i'm still regretting it to this day especially because i think they broke up but uh yeah i mean it all starts here really i mean swingers is the big thing but like around this time the first here big hit swing revival song comes out yeah. I think the only random things I have is there was an actor I was convinced was Brad Dourif, uh, but he's not Brad Dourif. Bummer. <laughs> so everybody, Chucky is not in this movie, but I called him Brad Dourif in all of my notes, and that it is indeed not Brad Dourif. Uh, I thought that the CG looked aged, but totally worked for me. Like, d- did not bother me at all. Yeah. I was, I was a little nervous about that stuff, but it all worked out. I mean, the dog is crazy, but... 
<laughs> I did write um, <laughs> Milo in the mask walked so that Scrappy-Doo in the first <laughs> Scooby live-action Scooby-Doo could run. Because, you know, when Scrappy has that giant head, it looks exactly like the one that Milo has. I don't know. Mother. I've never seen Scooby-Doo. I just spoiled Scooby-Doo for you. <laughs> I've known that joke for years. It got spoiled okay, for me. Okay, good. Two- I was about to say, if I spoiled Scooby-Doo for you, I was going to lose my mind. That joke got spoiled for me 20 years ago. So don't sweat it. Puppy power. The real ones know. Um, the lieutenant uh, I know from, he plays the pickle man in a uh, Jewish rom-com called Crossing Delancey that I 1,000% oh, recommend. Oh, yes. Crossing Delancey. Sure. Great. Um, it's great. It's, it has big like Nor Ephron vibes, but it's very Jewish. A thousand percent recommend. He plays the romantic interest and he is like a Richard Gere-esque type character who sells pickles. And so they call him the pickle man. And so seeing the lieutenant was delightful to me because I love the pickle man. Cowboy death scene was great. And this is the second Oscar moment joke we've had on this show between this and Wayne's World. Also really oh, at the same time. Oh, right. that's right. Thought that was fun. Cuban Pete scene is incredible. I actually really liked Stanley and Tina, <laughs> and I just thought it was a fun movie. Yeah, that's what I wrote. You got any popcorn notes? Uh, I want to start negative. There was one <laughs> joke in this movie that I actually really hated. I, yeah, I wonder if it's the same one. Uh, there's a joke where the mask is being kind of roughed up by the police, and he says, where's a camcorder when you need one? Which is a joke two years after the Rodney King situation. Um, probably not the best venue for Rodney King jokes. The mask, probably not the best venue. <laughs> yeah. To say the no, least. No, nope, nope, nope. Um, there was another one that was also similarly racist that I barely caught. And I said, excuse me, did you hear it when his friend was in the bank or something? And he was like, women don't, you know, you know what women really, really want. They want some BBD. Oh and, yeah, and he said it like he he like said it you know it stood for like banking blah 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 but like there's you know that means something else in slang and it just sort of I was like was that intentional and I had to have been so that was another sort of like that was the joke that piqued my ear as like that's not cool <laughs> like that's actually really fucking weird that's very weird yeah. um I also but the Rodney King of... one is definitely worst I would say yeah not great not great not good at not all not great uh, I do have some fun facts. Uh, you know, yeah. he was only supposed to wear those teeth when he wasn't speaking, but then he learned to talk with the teeth and they were like, okay. <laughs> I love that. No problem. The original choice for the role of Tina was Anna Nicole Smith, but then they found Cameron Diaz through a modeling agency. She had auditioned 12 times and only landed the role a week before shooting started. What? Could you imagine? Oh, I can't imagine this movie without her. Imagine that shot of her singing, and it's just like a shot of her leg. Excuse me. Yeah, I can't imagine this movie without her. Oh, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I should note also the comic that the mask is based on is actually pretty dark horror stories about how the mask would like murder people with cartoon stuff. Oh my god! Uh, the original movie script was like that, but you know, Whoa. once once it became clear that Jim Carrey was going to come in and do this. <clears throat> They've changed the movie for the better, in my opinion. Although yeah, <laughs> I haven't even read the. I haven't read the comic. I can't. I did read like excerpts of some scenes, and I was like, or like like descriptions of scenes, and they are very, very dark. I don't think would have translated well to the vibe of this movie at all. 
the mask, by the way, is called Big Head in the comics. So oh, that's weird. That would have been, <laughs> you know, talk about a movie that would have been left on the street. Um, <laughs> and and the dog was created for the movie also. Oh, he's so good. It's a great touch. dog actor. Great dog actor. Uh, that's pretty much, I mean, there's a whole bunch of different things, but you know how these things are. Yeah. So, Mackenzie, could you give us your final thoughts and your star rating on The Mask? Yeah. I mean, my final thoughts are, I think I have a bit of a nostalgia trip for it. Sure. Uh, so I was really appreciative of just a lot in this movie. I thought it was everything I wanted it to be in terms of it was fun to watch and it was uh, it made me laugh. So like it gave me everything I wanted out of it. It wasn't like groundbreaking, obviously, but like, I, I don't know. I, I thought it aged pretty well and I thought it was fun and I thought it was cool. I loved I really liked it. Uh, I think I'm probably going to give it a 3.5. A... I don't know what that's very all right yeah 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 3.5 kev you made a face when i said that so what is your rating um i'm pretty much there you know there's a part of me deep inside that wants to say that this is a shagadelic four-star movie <gasps> Ooh. uh i can't go there today i can't go there today i was i honestly thought you might go to five no, the way no, 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 we're no, talking no, no. about it. There is no world in which uh, no, I'm not that crazy. <laughs> but I do love this movie very much, and it is a very core memory movie, very goofy, again, very silly. It's a cartoon world. The setups and payoffs are pretty tight. Jim's incredible. Cameron's great. Supporting yeah. cast is totally solid. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I may go higher. I may come back to this, but for today, I think <laughs> I think also for most people, somewhere in this realm of like three three point five is is where you're gonna land. Yeah. So for today, again, never say never. <laughs> three point five. Very all One right. Day. Very all right. Yeah. And that's the mask. Woo! We did it. We did it. The book is closing. And as the book is closing, it becomes time to do our little show. <laughs> I love gold! So, believe it or not, The Mask was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Ooh. Visual Effects. Wow, okay. Absolutely crazy. Uh, the makeup, production, design, and special effects were nominated for BAFTAs as well. Uh, also, the other... makeup. I'm surprised makeup didn't get in at the Oscars. Honestly, the makeup's really good in this. I know. It's, it's amazing stuff. Uh, the Kids' Choice Awards, Max the Dog won Favorite Animal Star for his performance as Milo, and Jim yes. Carrey won for Ace Ventura Pet Detective, but we're counting it. We're counting it. Oh my it. gosh. Also, I have to say, I just saw that uh, they lost the Academy Award to Forrest Gump. Yeah, yeah. Best visual effects? It should maybe go back and watch Forrest Gump. The visual <laughs> effects I mean, in know, Forrest Gump are really good. I know the Lieutenant Dan legs definitely, but yeah. The super the the way that Gump is superimposed in the JFK footage is really good. Oh. And all sorts of stuff like that is really clever. Oh, uh, okay, Mask. You do lose this time. I don't I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. Forrest Gump is on the list, I'm sure. Maybe one day <laughs> we'll get to it. Uh, certainly seems like a movie we'd roast on this show. So There we go. Some other notable awards, you know, Jim Carrey was nominated for the Razzie for Worst New Star because this was his breakout year and he was inescapable. And when <laughs> your comedy is to yell and do crazy gestures 
and you're everywhere, it's not going to be everybody's thing. So there that is. Also notable, the MTV Movie and TV Awards, which I think is what they're calling them now to try to trick people into watching it or something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not three hours of ridiculousness is the tagline now for that show. Uh, Nominated didn't win four categories. Best breakthrough performance and most desirable female (laughs) category uh, for Cameron Diaz. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just I'm totally thrown by that. (laughs) Most desirable female. (laughs) Imagine winning that. Do they have a most desirable male? I'm sure, uh, you know, Jim didn't get nominated, but I'm sure they, <laughs> you who kidding knows? me? I KK ho- said he was sexy. He should have been nominated. Exactly. Uh, also, uh, Jim Carrey for best comedic performance and best dance sequence to Cameron and Jim for the yes, scene yes, at the yes, club. Yes, yes, yes. Last but not least, Jim was nominated for an MTV Video Music Award for the Cuban Pete video. <laughs> <laughs> Best video from a film, and it what, was a what, hit. What one? What one? I don't know. Over it doesn't Cuban say. Fucking Pete. Okay, so we have an update. <laughs> I looked it up. Okay. Here are the nominees. <laughs> At the nineteen ninety five Video Music Awards. Best video for from a film. Okay. It's Cuban Pete. Okay. It's Brian Adams. Have you ever really loved a woman from Don Juan DeMarco, which I'm not familiar with. What? Okay. Okay. Whatever. U2's Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me from Batman Forever. Urge Overkill's Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon from Pulp Fiction. Oh, my God. And can you guess, you may be able to guess using context clues, what may have won best video from a film? brain just went to like something disney but like, does no. that count i've already given the movie away that's your hint uh, like it was already nominated yes there were two songs from this movie this po- is the oh, other pulp one. fiction pulp fiction the was it the twist no what the fuck is it then it's kiss from a rose by seal from batman forever oh i forgot that wasn't batman forever the video with the batman forever clips is legendary in my in my home and it bested Cuban Pete. Oh, yeah. That video kicks Cuban Pete's ass. No offense. <laughs> no offense to Jim. We love Jim. But yeah, yeah. Kiss him a rose kicks Cuban Pete's ass. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's I Love Gold, you know. Hey, accolades were given. Who could have predicted that, right? There we go. Nobody. Who could have predicted that? Uh, now it's time for the Alan Parsons Project, our segment every week that connects the mask to the Austin Powers trilogy. Um, one of the bigger ones is Toby Emmerich as executive producer, who's been on the show already a few times. Also, some other producers, Carla Fry, who gives us Lost in Space with Joey from Friends. <laughs> also, production manager Joe Feynman, uh, Paul Prokop, Bruce Mink in the art department. Paul Prokop? P-R-O-K-O-P. Prokop? Uh, I don't know. I, was, I, was, <laughs> I just thought that was I would hope. Name. I mean, I'm changing the pronunciation of my name if I'm that guy. In He's like, "Hi, I'm Mr. Prokop." <laughs> uh, one of the one of the acting links is is Tim Bagley, who appears in The Mask as Irv, and is also yeah. he's also in The Spy Who Shagged Me. I believe his role is Friendly Dad. Yes, 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 yes. He's in so much stuff. I know him mostly. He's in Will and Grace. That's right. In a really hilarious recurring role, but I know he's in a ton of stuff. Like, 
Grace and Frankie, and yeah, he's great. That's right. Uh, Don LaFontaine did the trailer for this movie, too, as well as The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, let's see, who else do I have here? Who else? Eugene McCarthy in the art department, Clay Boss in the stunt department. What an amazing... Not only does Clay Boss have that name, Clay Boss also <laughs> brings us the Blues Brothers, the Abyss, and Blade. Holy shit. I love Holy that. Holy shit. Also in the camera department, Kimberly Wright, who gives us the original Stargate. How cool is that? Whoa. Also in the stunt department for gold member, Henry Kingy. Hope I'm getting that right. Uh, Venom Predator 2 among credits. George Daring appears again. And last but not least, Ronald C. Briggs Jr., who worked inventory services on these films, as well as the Friday the 13th remake for New Line, the Sex in the City, the movie. <laughs> uh, and uh, hey, the musical movie of Hairspray, the quote unquote <gasps> remake of Hairspray. Yes. That's not really a remake. No. How do you like that? But one of my favorite movies. So absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, you know, only a select list. There's always a ton of people most weeks. And, uh, but that's the Alan Parsons project. If you're ever that curious, we will provide the IMDb link for you and we'll give you all the connections on a weekly basis at some point in the future. <laughs> Coming soon. There you are. You're over there. We have two yous over there. Uh, one of which I will say was technically from last week and uh, went straight to our spam. <laughs> so I don't know what Gmail was trying to uh, do for us um but we do have a voicemail from our dear friend wiser of the rank king's fame that's right uh, and, and it, the subject line is just a very good voicemail all in lower caps with no text so maybe that's why i think Gmail it's the, was like hmm it's the no text and the mp3 that probably yeah. does it right? <laughs> yeah probably so let's see what this spammy voicemail was all about <laughs> Hey, Kev, will you do an impression of Austin Powers' Doc Ock? Thanks. Love you. Bye. Oh, Austin Powers <laughs> as Doc Ock. What does that look like to you? Hmm. So I haven't heard Austin Powers' voice in a couple of months, so this could be a little tough. But if Austin Powers were to sound like Doc Ock, I think he would probably say something like, You're brilliant, but you're lazy, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I also was thinking about that line. Do I give you the power of the sun on the palm of your hand, baby? <laughs> I don't want to die a monster, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it is it's not switched on to die a monster. I'll get you next time, Spider-Man. Far out. <laughs> Spider-Man, he turns me on. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, thank you for that voicemail. <laughs> what a voicemail. And then we have uh, a little letter from our dear friend Goody, who just started a new freaking podcast. That's right. Real Latinos. You've got to check it out. It's a new podcast featuring Goody, and we love him. And he sent us a letter uh, with the subject line, Spider-Man 2 Ep. What? With a bunch of A's. Hey, Kevin McKenzie, just listened to the ep and wow, 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 wow. So excited that you guys both finally watched The Last Movie Stars and loved it. By the way, thanks for the shout out, of course. Yeah, of course. We definitely should organize a watch party and see a film Joanne and Paul star in together. 
I'm so stoked for Screamtober. Truth be told, this is a blind spot for me. I've never seen any of the films. Whoa. However, I did once rock a sweet ghost face mask for Halloween when I was eight. It had a heart pump attached that what? That when squeezed would fill the mask up with blood. Definitely not elementary school approved. I don't think that's, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) As far as Spider-Man 2 goes, you guys hit the nail on the head. It's the best superhero film of all time. In a single film, it has more emotional depth and impact than Endgame. We're not saying this? (laughs) I'm not saying a word. I made a promise to Joe Biden that I wouldn't say a word. I'll just say I maybe agree with this paragraph. It has more emotional depth and impact than Endgame, and the latter took 21 films for it to build. Fight me, Disney. The train scene is iconic. Aunt May's speech never fails to bring a tear to my eye, and ultimately love conquers all. It's moments like these, human moments, that I think are missing from the MCU films today. It's like Feige and Marvel forgot their secret sauce after all those years of success. Similar to what you mentioned, one of the many powers of film stories are their ability to connect to our common experiences, to let us know that we aren't alone in the world. Others have also faced our trials and tribulations, and we too can persevere. Peter living alone for the first time in a crappy apartment, him struggling to find a stable first job, and on top of that, juggling a second job, being Spidey, and a third job, being a good friend, are all things we can relate to in our daily lives. Well, maybe not the second job, but like you mentioned, his small acts of kindness help us think and feel that we too can be Spider-Man. It's not just Peter we can relate to either. We can relate to the main villain, secondary characters too. Harry losing his father and being thrust into responsibility. Dr. Octavius losing his wife. Aunt May on the verge of being evicted. And MJ struggling to find her footing in showbiz. Maybe we have never really personally had to deal with these issues, but we can relate because they are real. These issues these characters face help place the human experience at the very heart of this story. That's what makes this film special. How am I supposed to relate to gods and aliens beating the crap out of each other on some far-off planet in a movie where humans are treated as background characters? Mm -hmm. I've rambled on for too long, so I'll write a quick outro. This film is in my prestigious Letterboxd Hall of Fame for a reason. I want to, I wanted to do after what all I wanted to do after listening to this ep was watch the film again immediately, which is a testament to the great work y'all have done here. <laughs> Your friend, <laughs> Goody. Thank you so much for sending that in. What a lovely letter. Um, obviously, because of my legally binding promise I made to the president of the United <laughs> States, I can't comment on the MCU, uh, but I didn't fight anything you said. So yep. make a note of it. Um, and beautifully <laughs> put, too. Thank you. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. (laughs) What else can I say? There we go. All right. Uh, And if you would like to. Oh, yes. Be over there. (laughs) Like, ask me to do Austin Powers voice. Talk to us about whatever you want. Talk about next week's movie, which will be decided just as soon as the interns are done rolling in the wheel. You can send it to austindangerpodcast at gmail.com in the form of a letter like Goody did. Or an MP3, preferably under 90 seconds, like Wiser did. And uh, we'll play them and read them and react to them on the show. Wiser's six second one. You know, hey, I appreciate the down to businessness of that. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? I am so ready to know what will next week bring us. What will next week bring us? Here's something very interesting. So I have said 
a lot on this show that I get crap a lot for talking about the greatest movies of all time, <laughs> my favorite movies of all time, the all-time greats, the classics, the indisputables. And fortunately, or maybe you may not believe that this is random, but it is random, we are returning to that list again next week as we begin a new journey on All in Danger podcast. What's it going to be? It's a movie from 1977 what? that changed the world. Now, then, <gasps> of course, it was just called Star Wars, right? Uh, but oh now we know it as Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. <laughs> and next week on Austin Danger Podcast, Are we're going to talk me? about it. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. No, um, this is real. <laughs> Believe it. It's real. I spun I the mean, wheel. Obviously connected to us through the... Iconic, incredible, I'm going to cry seeing her, Carrie Fisher. That's right. Oh, my God. That is crazy. Are you fucking kidding me? I hit random on the number randomizer or whatever. It came up number 109, which on our list is Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. And yes, we are doing release order for Star Wars yes. because fucking we would never have finished it, frankly, if we started at any other point. So <laughs> I feel like release order makes sense because... To me, it is the order in which the story was conceived to be told to us. You know what I mean? It's like when we cover The Godfather or whatever, we're not going to watch the TV version that chronologically does it. You know what I mean? We're going to watch it the way it was intended to. So I feel like Star Wars release day makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Also, Especially I wanna because... See, I want to see Luke, Leia, and Han. That's what I want to see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so You and me both. And if you love them as much as we do, if you love the Grand Moff Tarkin meeting scene as much as I do, if you have takes on CG Jabba, we want to hear from you. Podcast at gmail.com. We're doing it. Just in time for Andor. Yeah, just in time for Andor at the end of next month. Or this month, I guess, right? It's September as you're hearing this. I think so, yeah. Um, I'm shook. I'm shaking up. That's crazy. I'm chilled the fuck up right now. That's crazy. It's crazy. (laughs) Uh, and that's next week on the show. But until then, for Mackenzie, this is Kev. Awesome Danger Podcast. Peace. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Austin Danger Pod. This episode was mixed and edited by me, Mackenzie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.